Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This is our third lesson this morning, and I titled the message, Build or Rebuild. And we're talking about Nehemiah rebuilding the walls that were fallen in Jerusalem and brought to ruins. And uh, we talked about six different things. So for those of you that weren't with us, maybe for the first two, I'll just give you a quick update and review of some of the things that we talked about. But it's found in Nehemiah chapter 2. And from those texts, from those verses, we brought forth six particular words that begin with F, that will help us better understand how we can build or rebuild a life, build or rebuild a family, build or rebuild a church, an establishment, a business, an organization. However you want to say it, these are principles that we can live by and we can learn from. So number one, we talked about focus. Focus on what God lays on our heart to do. Secondly, we said you got to find Find the facts, and that's exactly what he did. He went down to find the facts. What needs to be done? What do we need to do? We looked at the Word of God to find the facts. Number three, friends. And we talked about the fact that we need friends along the way. Nobody is a lone ranger. Now, you know, you think about Batman. He had Robin, right? Well, we've got Jesus. He's a friend that sticks closer than the brother. But when you come into this world, it starts with birth with your parents and then goes right on through teachers and so on. You just don't get through this life on your own. We need friends. And then we said faith. He talked about faith, how he reviewed his past. Why? So that he can face his future. Remember David, King David, he remembered the lion, the bear, that enabled him to do what? Stand against Goliath. So it pays to have a history with God. And thank God you can think about how he delivered you in the past. And, and of course, he'll deliver you in the future as well. And then we talked about foes. There's going to be foes that we face in this life. We have opposition coming against us no matter who we are. Even Jesus himself, not only did he have his friends, his 12 disciples, but he also had foe uh, that was against him. And that was the devil himself and he had to face him. And we all do. And so we know that. We talked about that. Now, ne Nehemiah, he had three individuals that basically withstood him from beginning to the end of the project. And those three individuals, we could say the devil, the world, and the flesh. We face today. Same thing. And then finally, we talked about fulfillment the fulfillment comes from God you know one plants sows one sows the seed one waters the seed but God always gives the increase he brings it to fruition and so without him of course it's useless it's in vain but he'll bring it to pass and full fruition and so thank God for that then last week or Wednesday night I continued the study we talked about building materials that we're going to use to build on this foundation Jesus said a wise man will do what hear the word hear his sayings and then do them as a result, he's a wise man who builds his house on a foundation, a strong foundation that the winds of life, the storms of life can't overcome. Well, on that foundation, he taught the Apostle Paul to, teach, to say this. You can build with gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, and stubble. Wood, hay, and stubble will burn when uh, we're judged by fire at the Bema right judgment of Christ. The judgment that will take place to all believers will be saved as of a fire, but... If you're building with wood, hay, and stubble, there's not going to be any rewards. 
But if you use gold, silver, and precious stone, then you're going to have rewards on the other side in glory. And of course, it'll, I'm sure, determine the amount of glory that we experience throughout our eternity. So we talked about some of the different building materials that we can use that the enemy can't destroy if we use these materials. And the first one was what? Love. That we love. Live in the realm of love. But the scope of love begins with what? God loving you. Learn how much God loves you. How much he loves me. Giving his son for us. It's found right there. But then also, we love God. And how do we demonstrate a love for God? Jesus said in John 14, he said, He that loves me keeps my commandments. He that doesn't keep my commandments doesn't love me. It's as simple as that. So we find out what his commandments are. We keep them to demonstrate our love for him. So the third aspect of love is love yourself. We have to love ourselves. Sometimes we complain about this, that, or the other thing in our lives. You know, sometimes I'll tease about my height, but my height has never bothered me. As a matter of fact, I loved it when I was able to scoot underneath those players that I opposed. And they just didn't know where I was because I went right underneath their legs. So I had an advantage to that. So, but it doesn't really bother me. <laughs> Amen. Glory be to God. So, love yourself just the way you are and as the way God loves you. See yourself as he sees you and love yourself. And then finally, that enables us to love others. Remember, love others as I have loved you. Love others as you love yourself. And of course, that includes your enemy. He tell, tells us, teaches us how to love our enemies as well. So this whole scope of love involves all that. But then we talked about forgiveness and the need for us to forgive. Let that be part of the building materials of our lives. And Jesus was big on forgiveness. He said, you've got to forgive at least 490 times a day. You know, and it's very clear that if you don't, he said, then you'll be turned over to what? To the enemy and see to it that you pay everything. We don't want that. He said, you can't be forgiven yourself if you don't forgive. So forgiveness is essential that we live our lives not in unforgiveness or bitterness or animosity or any of that, but we forgive those who have wronged us as we have been forgiven. He compared it to a billion dollar debt as opposed to a $25 debt. We've been forgiven the billion dollar debt, so forgive somebody the $25 debt. And then we talked about awareness. Uh, another important building material in our lives. If we're going to build a structure that will withstand the attack of the enemy and the storms of light, awareness. What's that talking about? Our battle's not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. And we need to be aware every single day. You know, God's mercies are renewed every, every morning, and we know that. We understand that, and we thank him for that. But guess what? The enemy's attacks are relentless as well. He's not concerned about who you are. He wants to destroy your life. What, what is he set out to do? Still kill and destroy. That's exactly what he intends to do. And he's targeting every person's life. Especially if you are a believer. And especially if you're making, let's say, an impact in the world for God. He wants to destroy you, your life, your family, your church, your ministry, whatever. Your business. If you're in the business out there and you're funding the gospel as well. Or even pro proclaiming the gospel. He wants to destroy anything and everything you stand for. We need to be aware of that. They're out there, but thank God, Jesus overcame the enemy, and in him we have power and authority over all the power of the enemy. The fourth one was a mindset, and how important this is, our mindset, the way we think. It takes us back to the very beginning when Paul the Apostle said, I, he was concerned because as Satan beguiled Eve, that your minds would be corrupted from the simplicity 
that there is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he talked about having the right kind of a mindset because Satan's number one tool and weapon is what? Deception. And to deceive means to present as truth what is a lie. To get someone to believe something that's a lie by saying that it's true. And what did he do? He pointed her to that tree and said, if you eat from that, you're not going to die. You're going to have a better life. You're going to know a whole lot more. And yeah, she did. She learned about good and evil as a result. But that's where it all begins. So all rebellion starts with a thought. And that's exactly what Lucifer, Lucifer did from the very beginning. His own thinking. He's the father of lies and liars. Why? Because he concocted all this in his own mind, in his own head. I firmly believe this. I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. I believe he understood the law of faith and he tried to use his faith to overthrow God. Which is why he made declarations of his faith. Five times he said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will be like the Most High God. He used his faith to overthrow God. He tried to overthrow God by using his faith. But guess what? God says you have no basis for that and you'll be brought down to hell. And that's the bottom line for him. So we have to have the right mindset. So as we continue our study, this is the same thought along this line about our thinking. The next one, number five, is meditation. Everybody say meditation. Psalm 119, verse 97. Let's look at what it says. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Notice the writer here making a declaration. I love your law. I love your word. There has to be a love for the word of God. There has to be a love for the laws of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if we love him, then we'll love his word. Because his word reveals to us what his thoughts are for our lives. His thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are higher than ours. And he wants us to understand his ways, understand his thoughts. Why? So we can make a transfer, you say. His for ours and ours for his. So, God's word in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 is absolutely essential. It gives us leverage over all the powers of darkness and evil. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit. Keep that in mind, soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and are the, as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Notice it's only the word of God that can distinguish between soul and spirit man is a tripart being spirit soul and body his body contacts the natural world his soul contacts the emotional world his spirit contacts the spiritual world three-part being spirit soul and body only the word can make a division between spirit and soul the spirit and soul can leave the body and the body's left here and the spirit and soul are gone so the spirit and soul can exist outside the body but the body cannot have life without the spirit and soul within but the spirit and soul cannot be separated, only distinguished. Just like the joints and a marrow, bone marrow, joints. Where the, that's what he's talking about. You can hardly see where one ends and the other one begins. Same with the spirit and the soul. Only the word of God can distinguish between spirit and soul. So that way, if we think something is right, but if it doesn't line up with this word, the word of God, then you know what? Throw it aside. It's not right. Do what the Word of God says, not what our feelings and emotions want us to do. Jesus himself understood this concept. When he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, let's remember this, he was challenged in all three dimensions of man. First of all, the physical, the body. 
Turn those stones into bread and feed yourself. You're hungry. That's a physical temptation dealing with the body, this outward man. And what did Jesus use to overcome? It is written. How important is it for him to use the word of God? He was the word of God. He is the word of God. But he used the word of God to withstand that onslaught of the enemy in the physical realm. Next, soul in the soulish realm. He said, look, the, the devil said to him, if you throw yourself down, angels have charge over you. They'll get you. They'll protect you. They'll keep you safe and pick you up and defend you. And Jesus said, thou shalt not. It is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Once again, he uses the word. Third one is in a spiritual realm. He says, look, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this. It belongs to me. And Jesus said, it's written once again, thou shalt worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. Why is this so important for us to understand? For this reason. It's only through meditation that we get what we know intellectually up here, down here, and it becomes a reality. You see, the scriptures can be a part of our lives mentally, but be detached from our lives as far as reality is concerned. We might know what it says, but are we carrying it out? So with Jesus, through meditation, the word became a living thing. In him, a living entity within him. He wasn't echoing somebody else. He took that word, made it a part of who he is, and used it against the enemy. So once again, it doesn't take a whole lot but the word of God to stand against the enemy and declare that it is written to put him in his place. And when the enemy saw that Jesus was not going to be moved, he couldn't penetrate spirit, soul, or body with his deceptive lies, what happened? He left. But he left looking for a more opportune time to come back. When is that opportune time for him to come back? When we let our guards down. Okay, we had a victory. And thank God for the victory. But now maybe as some time goes on, we just, let's say, we revel in our victory. And if you're not careful, if you're not mindful, if you're not cautious, another attack will come, a sneak attack will come, or whatever. Looking for a more opportune time. He did it in the life of Jesus, he'll do it for us. Look at Hebrews chapter uh, 1 uh, and verse 3. This is from the King James Version. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express, express image of his person and beholding all things, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Notice in that verse, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Everything that was created was created by the word of his power. Everything that's upheld is upheld by the word of his power. So everything in this universe responds to the word of his power. So it has the ability then, the word is, it does, to do what? Silence every attack of the enemy. Anything the enemy would desire to bring our way. Once we understand what the word says, make it a part of our lives through meditation, then guess what? We are now equipped with walls that will protect us against what the enemy wants to get us to do through deception. And so Jesus understood it. Jesus knew it. And he used it effectively against the enemy. All right. Look at the next one in Psalm. Psalm number, or first Psalm. One through three. Meditation and success go hand in hand. Without meditation, you've got the word, but it can be a Something that's detached from our lives. We don't want that. We want it to be a living thing in us. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. This is from the New Living Translation. 
or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. What's the key to prospering? What's the key to being victorious and bearing fruit? Meditation. They meditate in the word day and night. But it's also important to realize the first couple of, the first verse talks about don't walk in the way of the ungodly or stand in the way of the sinner or the seed of the scornful, but delight in the law of the Lord. Delight in the word of God. Let that word of God through meditation become a part of your being. It'll be like planted, a planted tree by the rivers of water. You'll have all that you need to bear fruit. And so that's what he's talking about. So through meditation, what is detached from our lives becomes attached to our lives and it becomes a reality. So when we say it is written, it's not because someone else says, well, say it's written. This is something that we have embraced ourselves and we'll talk about that next. So look at Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 and in context, remember this. Joshua is taking over the leadership, think about that, of getting the people of God to the promised land because Moses just died. And so God speaks to uh, to Joshua and says to him certain things like I'll be with you as I was with Moses I will be with you we're going to get these people to the promised land but I need your cooperation here's what he says this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do the only way to become a doer of the word of God is through meditating the word of God day and night then, that's so you do all that is written there, and then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. So once again, one of the keys to prosperity, that is prospering in our lives, overcoming in our lives, being successful in our lives, is through meditating the Word of God to allow it to become a part of our lives. And once again, that's a wall of defense that goes up. Why? Because when the enemy is looking to destroy, he's looking to deceive. And those that are deceived are those that don't know the word. If we know the word, we protect ourselves from deception. And once again, it's important we recognize and be aware of the tactics of our enemy. He'll try to deceive us by telling us things that are not true. All right. Meditation is a message in itself. But number six, confession. And when most people think about confession, they think about negatively, negatively uh, as far as the connotation of the word. Confess your faults, confess your sins, confess your failures. Yes, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we understand that. But confession is a lot broader and bigger than just confessing our sins. As a matter of fact, we got saved by confession. You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the lordship of Jesus. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto soteria, salvation, healing, deliverance, prosperity, health wholeness, etc. Preservation. So confession is important. Confession, uh, you'll see in the Word of God, enables us to build up a wall of protection that the enemy cannot penetrate. But look in Hebrews chapter 3, or, or 13 rather, uh, verses 5 and 6, because this is one of the keys to understanding confession. Let your conversation or lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Now notice these next words. For he hath said. 
Say it with me, God hath said. Remember the devil turned that around with Eve and said, hath God said? Hath God said? Made it a question. He hath said. God has said. What God said is important. Well, what did he say? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Why did he say that? So that we may boldly say. What God says, we may boldly say. Well, what will we say? The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Everything that we say must be rooted and grounded in what God hath said. Which is why it's important for us to understand confession. I am confessing what God said. Not because the pastor said to do it. Not because my neighbor said to do it. Not because somebody else did it. But it's because I understand the principle of confession. Confessing the word of God over my life. We confess it. We say it. Based on what God said, I have a right to say it so that God can watch over it and make it good on my behalf. Now, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, again, essential to understand these points. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our what? Of our what? Confession, Christ Jesus. This is from the New King James Version of the Bible. What does it mean for him to be the high priest of our confession? We, we talk about high priest. You go to the old high priestly ministry. You discover, discover all the things that he did and how he had to do them in the Old Testament. We got a new high priest, one who will never die, who never has to be replaced. He is representing us to the Father. The high priest was the go-between, the liaison, if you will, between God and man. And he is there at the throne of God as the high priest of what? Our confession. You know, he made, he made this statement in Matthew, I believe it is 1032. He made a statement declaring that if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So what we confess before men, he confesses to the Father. What we declare to be true, he declares to be true on our behalf before the throne. He's the high priest of our confession. That's why when you and I were lost as sinners, and we finally found out what the word says, and we confessed him as Lord, made him our Savior, he confessed us before the Father as a child of Almighty God. You confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. It's not just, once again, to be saved from sin. It's all inclusive. It includes everything that he said and provided for us. So he declared it to be true. We declare it to be true. And Jesus takes it to the Father and says, it's true for them. Because they're confessing it. You recall the Israelites couldn't enter the promised land. And God said to them, as you spoke in my ears, that's what I'll do to you. Confession is so key. It's so important for us to understand with regard to healing, deliverance, prosperity, protection, and so on. As a matter of fact, we confess the word in such a way that the enemy can't penetrate the walls of our declaration. Now, when it talks about confession, remember this. It's talking about expressing something that we know to be true for ourselves. We're testifying to a truth that we've personally embraced. Example, look at 1 John chapter 1. First three verses. 
that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, notice, we've heard, we have seen with our eyes, and we looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness to show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. There are many in the day in which we live that say Jesus wasn't really a real person. All the things we hear that Jesus didn't really die for our sins. He, did, he wasn't raised from the dead. We can find his body somewhere and all that. You try telling John that Jesus wasn't a real person. Try it. John, we're standing here right now and you came up to him and just said, I don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus and so on. He's not real. He would say to you, I saw him. I heard him. I handled him. I saw him die. I saw him buried. I saw the stone. You know what? I saw the empty tomb. I am an eyewitness. He's witnessing to a truth that he has embraced. And so he's declaring it to everybody that will listen to him. You can believe what you want to believe, but I know it for a fact. He is a real person. He was raised from the dead. I saw him glorified. You can't convince me of anything else. So confession is based on that. I'm not trying to be convinced, John is saying. I know it to be true. We confess that way. Now look at here, uh, John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Once again, the words of Jesus. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Notice the word know. It's epignosko in the Greek. It means to enter into the knowledge of it. Dante mentioned how we were uh, basically traveling during the time of the tornado. From Beaver, coming up Tuscarawas Road when this thing hit. And it was... I guess what they've said is the strongest tornado that we've had in this area since 1985 when it wiped out so many things in our area. And literally, we're driving up Tuscarawas Road when it hit. When we got to where our development is to turn right to go on Little Beaver Road, the four poles were down. The wires were right above my car. We turned in on that side. The other side probably would have hit the wires, but we saw electrical wires on the grass and a burning fire as a result. Live wires burning. It was on fire. You can smell the smoke, the stench of it. Plus there was someone I guess must have had some kind of a gas light in the front of their house. You can smell the gas. And uh, I think it was a fireman, volunteer fireman, whoever. They were out in the road, a road crew, whatever, and said, get out of here. There's a fire there and there's gas that we smell. So we go back, as we go back to our our road, not far from there, um, it's like a war zone. My point is this. You can know about electricity intellectually all you want. That word know does not mean you're book smart. 
It doesn't mean you studied electricity in college. It doesn't mean that you went to some trade school somewhere, you know all about electricity, you know how it works, etc., 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 etc. That's not it. That word know means you've entered into it. Those wires were alive. We saw it manifesting. If we would have touched it, we would have known it. You, you get the point? Now you know it. And when it talks about know, this word know, you shall know the truth. You've entered into the truth. Same thing with baking a cake or a pie or something. You may know all the ingredients that's in it, so you know it. But you don't really know it epignosco until you taste it. Once you eat it, it's in your mouth. Now you know it. You experience it. Adam knew his wife Eve. He could have, there were too many women to know at that time, but he could have known a lot of different women, but didn't really know her until he was intimate with her. Now he knows her. That's this language, gnosko, entering into this realm of knowledge that is experiential. Are we seeing that? So too often we think because I know what that verse says, John 14, 6. I'm the way, truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Understand that. But it's knowing it to the point of it's becoming a part of who I am, a part of my life. So you're confessing something that you know is true. Example. I've had people say, I confessed that five times and it never happened. Well, why did you confess it five times? Because I went to the prayer line and someone told me confess it. That happened to me. Way back in the early days of my salvation, I went to a prayer line in a, in a full gospel church. He said, I'm going to pray for you to be healed. And I want you to go tell five people out there in this church that you are healed. I had no idea what I was doing. No clue whatsoever. So I get prayed for and I go... Now I'm a stranger because this is a new church to me. I have no idea. I walk up to some fellow after the service is over and say, I'm healed. They said, what? I said, I'm healed. Of course, then I had to blame him. I said, well, he told me to tell you that I'm healed. <laughs> he did? And yeah, he prayed for me. He said, are you healed? I said, I don't think so. <laughs> but maybe if I tell them, he said five. So I said another one. I went to the other one and it says, by the way, I, I got prayed for, I'm healed. What? Who are you? Oh, I, I, he told me to tell five people that I'm healed. You're second, you're number two. Well, are you healed? I, I, I don't think so. How many of you know I don't know what I'm talking about when I'm going out telling five people? And how many know that he really didn't understand it himself? He's just telling me to go tell five people randomly that I'm healed. What, I'm not healed. See, there was no explanation that when you're prayed for, you believe you receive the power of God. You believe that it's operating in you before you see a manifestation and you declare it to be true, even though you may not see it to be true, you declare it to be true because God said, if I lay hands on the sick, they shall what? Recover. Uh, what it should have been saying is, I'm recovering. I've been prayed for, I'm recovering in the name of Jesus. But you see, that wasn't it. I didn't understand it. He didn't understand it. Nothing was working. So we, mean, we need to know that this is something I've embraced. It's a truth that I've embraced. I'm big on this for a reason. When Andrew was born with no left 
pulmonary artery. Everybody say no. He did not have one. And so when Krista and I joined ourselves together at Children's Hospital and asked the Father to give him one in the name of Jesus, we believed he was just born. He can't believe for himself. We believed we received one for him. And from that point on, we thanked the Father and confessed it. We see a left pulmonary artery. We see it growing and open and whole. We see it. She sang, I spoke over his body. And as a result, in nine months, he grew a left pulmonary artery to normal size based on our declaration of faith. I didn't go around telling five people in the hospital, by the way, he's ill, you know, I got to pick out five people. This is a truth that we've got to embrace. This is a truth that we need to know. We're testifying to something we know. Jesus said, if you pray, believe you receive it, you will have it. Once you pray, declare it to be true. And praise God, watch God work. Let him be the one to fulfill it. Number seven is prayer. Prayer. Matthew 26, 40 through 42. We can go along that line forever about confessing the word. But remember, the word that you confess is based on what God said, not on what we think or what we want. He cometh unto his disciples. This is Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. He finds them asleep and he says to Peter, What could you not wash with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. We see Jesus struggling. Why? He knows what's about to happen to him. He knows he's about to become sin who knew no sin. He's about to be separated from his father. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's forsaken of the father. He knows he's going to experience the full wrath of God poured out upon him for the sin of the world from Adam throughout eternity. He knew that. And so what is he doing? He is praying to get through to victory so he can stand firm against what he was about to experience in a natural world. Prayer is joining forces together with God. We're talking about building up walls, spiritual walls in our lives that the enemy cannot penetrate so that he cannot defeat us in any area of our lives. And what is Jesus saying? Look, the spirit might be willing, but the flesh is very weak. You've got to pray so that you don't enter into temptation. So that temptation does not overcome you. There's no temptation given among men that we can't overcome. God is faithful to make a way out of escape for us, no matter what that temptation might be. But it's up to us to do our part. So what is our part? Prayer. Prayer is our part. Pray to stay built up. Pray to stay filled up, pray to stay impenetrable before the enemy. Why? Because the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Here the apostle Paul once again being taught by Jesus. Be careful, anxious for nothing. Don't worry or have anxiety about anything. But in everything, notice everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind through Jesus Christ our Lord so finally brethren whatsoever things are true whatsoever things are honest whatsoever things are just whatsoever things are, are pure whatsoever things are lovely whatsoever things are of a good report if there be any virtue any praise think on these things so now he's talking about praying no matter what the situation is in everything 
prayer, supplicate, give thanks, and then start thinking along the right lines. Think about what you just prayed about. Think about what God just said. Think about praising God for the answer. Do something with the thought life because the enemy is going to try to undermine our prayer life with our thoughts. So God watches over his word to make it good in prayer. Prayer is taking his word back to him and saying, Father, this is what you said. And pleading your case before the throne of God saying, Father, this is what you said. I'm acting on what you said. I believe what you said to be true about what I'm going through or I'm experiencing in my life. And so I'm with you, joining together forces with you to see to it that your will is done, not mine. That's exactly what Jesus did. Even though he was sweating as it were drops of blood at that rock in the garden, he got to the place that he had the victory and he knew it. And that's why he could successfully go through all the torture that he went through afterwards. He got the victory first. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, it's just one of these verses that is left out of the armor of God. We know we got all the other armor that we're clothed with because it's the armor of God. But the last part of that armor includes prayer. Praying always with all prayer. Notice all prayer. And supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Andrew and I were taking a walk around our track behind our house yesterday. And we were talking about some of these things. And I shared with him about praying in the Spirit. And kind of demonstrated to him how important it is for us to pray. Yes, in the natural, take God's Word, give it back to him. But also praying in the Spirit. He goes, well, what, what value is that? What purpose is there in that? And I said to him, we are limited finite beings. The things we know about intellectually are limited. We don't know everything about every circumstance or situation that we encounter in this world or that we go through in this life. And so when you pray in the Spirit, what you do is you bypass your intellect, you bypass your understanding, and you let the Spirit of God on the inside pray from your spirit. In some cases in Romans 8, it talks about groanings of utterance on the inside that come out that are Spirit-led prayers, and you're praying out the perfect will of God. You see, when it comes to even Pentecostal charismatic circles, and sometimes that is abused, don't let that abuse take you away from what is true. Praying in the Spirit, there are three manifestations of tongues. You got your sign tongues, you got your ministry tongues, and then you got your devotional tongues. And the emphasis is on devotional, your prayer life and prayer language. So essential, so important. Why? Because we are limited in what we think, what we understand, and what we intellectually know. But in the Spirit, there are no limitations. You can pray out the perfect will of God. And that's another subject that we need to study down the road. Finally, this last one, this last wall that we're going to put up is the wall of praise. Look at Psalm 118, verse 21. I will praise thee. Well, why? For thou hast heard me Oh, and art become my salvation. I'm praising you because you heard me. You became my salvation. Nothing more impacting than Jesus being at the graveside of Lazarus when he stood there before all the people and a tombstone in, in front of the cave, in front of the tomb, weighing over four to 5,000 pounds. And he stands there with people hearing him. And what does he say? I thank you, Father, that you heard me. Isn't that what that psalm just said? I thank you, Father, that you heard me. Well, what did he hear him say? 
He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. He said that four days prior to this. When he got to the tomb, he said, I thank you. You heard me when I said that. And I'm not saying it for you, but I'm saying it for these around me so that they know you sent me. Right? And then he says what? Lazarus, come forth. I thank you that you heard me. And then the reality comes. So when you and I pray and ask God for something, what do we do? I'm asking you to give our son a left pulmonary artery. I thank you that you heard me, you heard us, and now we praise you for the answer. And praise you for the answer because you see, you're our salvation. I praise you because you heard me and now you're my salvation. Thank you for your saving grace. Thank you for your healing grace. Thank you for your delivering grace. You bring God on the scene through praise and worship. Acts, look at verse, chapter 16, verse 25 and 26. To show you once again, it's not just them, it's also Paul doing the same thing. Paul and Silas, they're at, in jail at midnight. It's the midnight hour crisis in their lives. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises. Prayer is taking our petition to God. Praise is bringing God into our situation. Prayer takes your problem to God. Praise thanks him and brings him into the situation. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the earth, or prison were shaken and the, immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. So he prayed and then praised. I will praise you because you heard me and you've become my salvation. This is exactly what God wants us to do in our times of challenge. I, I know what you said. I'm embracing the truth of your word. I'm going to praise you. Because I know you heard me when I asked you for deliverance or I asked you for an artery or I've asked you for whatever I've asked you for. I'm going to praise you because you heard me and I know that I have it and I'm just going to thank you and let you work on my behalf. And what happened? The place was shaken. Everybody's bands were loosed. Well, you know what? Look in Hebrews uh, chapter 13 verse 15 because if you have any understanding of the Levitical priesthood and what it was designed to do, the types and all the shadows... The antitype being Christ who fulfilled all that they did. All the rituals that they had to go through. The sacrifices that they had to go through. Killing of the animals. Offering up the blood. All that. The high priestly ministry and all that had to take place. All that. Were, those were sacrifices. Sin offering. Trespass offering. The meal offering. And so on. All these offerings that they offered before the Lord. Well guess what? Aren't you glad you didn't come today with the lamb that you slain? Aren't you glad you didn't come with a turtle dove that you had to kill and bring its blood? No, we don't offer those sacrifices to God anymore. By him, therefore, that's by Christ, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips doing what? Giving thanks to his name. I thank you, you heard me. I thank you, you healed me. I thank you, you protect me. I thank you that you helped me. I am so thankful to you. You see, it's called the praise cure. The praise cure. And sometimes we hit and miss when it comes to these things. But you know what? God would have us live within that realm more than we do. We praise him for peace in our nation. The unrest that we're experiencing right now is mind-boggling. We want peace in this nation. Can you say amen? There's only one who can produce that peace. Man's not going to do it. No political party will ever do it. Protesting isn't even going to do it. 
It's going to be the hand of God on this nation. And it's time for believers to rise up and start praising Him for peace. And destroying racism, prejudice of every sort. Can you say amen? I'm going to close my message this morning uh, with this testimony. It's from an article that I want to share with you. And it really reveals to us the praise cure and how it works. Many cures for ailments of mankind have been concocted by and administered to mankind throughout the ages. Cures of various kinds and categories, from old-fashioned home remedies to the most sophisticated modern-day cures, have been lauded as wonder-working remedies to all that ails humanity. Several years ago, for example, I heard about a cure known as the barefoot cure. Anybody hear that one? The proponents of this cure declared that if people would constantly go barefooted, rain or shine, sleet or snow, it would alleviate every kind of ailment. They believe going barefoot provided a constant cure and would keep people from contracting any kind of sickness and disease. Hmm. I wonder what they had to pay for that. Now notice this. I once read an article about another cure known as the mud bath cure. In this article, there were pictures of mud baths which supposedly could even cure depression. To hear some people talk, if you took a mud bath, it would cure you of anything that ailed you. From the common cold to cancer. I wonder what they had to pay for those mud baths. During the early days of our nation, medicine men traveled back and forth across the country peddling bottled water, wonder cure-alls, which were supposed to cure practically everything that ailed mankind. Since the world began, people have always tried to concoct so-called wonder cures of various forms and fashions that would supposedly miraculously cure mankind of sickness and disease, pain and suffering, and discomfort and distress. Hmm. Down through the ages, people have been in search of miraculous cure-alls for their sickness and diseases and their aches and pains. People throughout the world today are searching to help and, and for help and relief from pain and suffering. And many have paid thousands of dollars to, to find a cure for their ailments. But the Bible tells us about a cure that doesn't cost anything. Someone else paid the price for the cure. Actually, this cure was the most expensive cure of all to pay for. It cost Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his life. Jesus' death and resurrection provided a cure for you that doesn't cost you anything. And if you'll administer this cure faithfully, it'll work every time. The name of this cure is the praise cure. Hallelujah. The greatest cure known to mankind can be found in praising God. The greatest deliverance known to mankind is within the reach of every believer on this earth and it's it is found in praising God from a sincere heart of love and gratitude. In her book, Healing from Heaven, Dr. Lily Bin Yeomans tells the story of a woman who went to China as a missionary many years ago when China was open to receiving the gospel. The missionary contracted smallpox. In those days, no cure existed for this disease, so doctors could do little for her. And if a person contracted smallpox back then, there was no hope. The person just died. It was a deadly disease. The missionary was quarantined in a room and ugly smallpox marks covered her entire body from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. There she was, stricken with a deadly disease with little medical assistance, destitute, and in a faraway country, virtually given up to die. She didn't know what to do since there was no cure, so she began to fervently seek the Lord. The Lord always rewards a diligent seeker and he always answers sincere faith-filled prayer. So he spake uh, he spoke to her and told her to praise him for his faithfulness to keep his own word. 
Then he showed her a vision of two baskets. One basket contained the test and the trial, the smallpox. The other basket, and that basket was full. The other basket contained her praise, and that basket was only half full. The Lord told her to praise, that the praise basket needed to be filled with praise so it would outweigh the basket of the test and trial. And when the praise basket was full, her healing would be manifested. After this, as this missionary lay quarantined in a room, she began to fervently praise and worship the Lord day and night. Everyone feared for her life and thought that she could, that the loud praises coming from her room was little more than the act of a delirious woman. But in spite of all opposition, she continued to praise God. She sang praises to God from her heart. She did nothing but praise the Lord. She praised Him for His greatness. She praised Him for all that He had done for her. She praised Him for His faithfulness to His word. She praised Him for her healing. She praised God, praised God, praised God so much so that even the others that were caring for her, they began to praise God with her. What was the result of such sincere and devoted praise to God? Finally, after several days of heartfelt praise, the Lord showed her that the praise basket was full. She walked out of that quarantine room completely healed. Her skin was as smooth and clear as a child's. No smallpox marks were to be found anywhere on her body. Before this missionary began to pr her praise cure, her body had been completely covered with smallpox marks. Can you imagine that? A body covered with smallpox Yet through heartfelt praise, she walked out of that room totally healed. She had taken the praise cure. How powerful is praise? The power of praise goes beyond our comprehension and understanding. And will we be challenged along the way? Absolutely. But I will praise Him for He heard me and He has become my salvation. Let's all stand together before the Lord. I will praise Him for He heard me. He's become my salvation.